All right, Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to uh, be in Hebrews chapter 3, so on Wednesday night we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. Um, we made it through most of chapter 2 last Wednesday. We're going to finish up chapter 2, so we're, you know, kind of, kind of trying to do a chapter a week, but it's going to be difficult, so we're really not on a time frame. We're just going to go through at our pace, verse by verse, through the book of Hebrews. And because of that, I wanted to, to uh, preach a series through the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning uh, to just kind of give you an overview of, of the chapter and talk about some specific things. And then on Wednesday night, we'll go into much more detail and give you an opportunity to discuss and it's really good because we can have a back and forth uh, discussion, uh, which is a great way for us to learn. So if you haven't been on Wednesday night, feel free to come. Uh, it's a great opportunity to interact and to learn uh, in more depth uh, the Scripture. The name or the title of my message today is Jesus is Better. If we were going to title the book of Hebrews... We could just title or give as a theme the book of Hebrews that title, Jesus is Better. That's really the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is Better. It's a simple statement that is profoundly true, and it's also profoundly powerful. If we believe that's true. And if we believe that Jesus is truly better, then our life should reflect that truth, and it should also reflect the power of that truth. So our text today is going to be Hebrews chapter 3, but for context, I'm going to back up, and I'm going to begin reading in the last two verses of Hebrews chapter 2, and then I'm going to read to you the entire 19 verses of chapter 3. So we'll begin in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, so follow along with me. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his, speaking of God's house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, Firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, 
where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that your word, this gospel, is powerful to save us. It's powerful to change us and to transform us. Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds, enlighten us to see and to hear, and give us the grace to obey your word, that we would be a people to bring glory and honor to your name, that in that day when we have completed our race, we will enter in your presence with boldness and with confidence, having trusted in the work of Jesus, who has made us holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is better. Now, in this chapter that we're going to go through, that we're going to look at, The writer of Hebrews is affirming this. So in the previous chapters, he started out telling this group of Hebrew believers that Jesus was better than the angels, that Jesus had obtained a better name than the angels. And now he is telling them, not only is Jesus better than the angels, whom God used in the olden days to deliver his message along with the prophets, And God used various people and he used various means. But in these last days, in the last of these days, God has spoken to us by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is better than the angels, having obtained a better name. But not only that, this letter is called the letter to the Hebrews. These are Hebrews living in Italy who want to go back to Jerusalem and they want to go back to the temple and they want to sacrifice animals in keeping with the law of Moses, that whole system of sacrifice. They're going to go back to the temple, sacrifice animals in the temple, and keep the law while also professing faith in Jesus. 
And the writer of Hebrews is warning them against that because you can't trust in the blood of an animal and at the same time trust in the blood of Jesus. If you say that you trust in the blood of Jesus, yet you go and shed the blood of an animal to somehow atone for your sins, you're counting the blood of Jesus as common. And they would say, but Moses gave us these commands and God commanded Moses to command us. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding them that Jesus is better than Moses. They were tempted to trust in their own works, the works of the flesh, the works of the law, in order to be made righteous. And that temptation is sinful. We are tempted, and we often fail to withstand temptation. Now, you might not be tempted in the same way they are, but whatever temptation we're tempted with that's contrary to God and contrary to His Word, contrary to His Gospel, that temptation is sin. And we're tempted and we often fail to withstand temptation. And the result of our with not withstanding temptation is to, to sin. And that sin, that act of sinning, is the result of our total depravity at birth. We are natural born sinners. You parents, if you don't realize it before you have children, you'll realize it soon after you have children that no one has to teach your child how to sin. It comes naturally because they're born in sin. They're born depraved. They're born little sinners. That's what children are. They're little sinners. And children who are born little sinners and are never taught any different, are never told any different, are never given the gospel, are never discipled, guess what they grow up to be? They grow up to be big sinners. We give in to our temptation and we sin because we are sinners. That is the bad news. The good news is that God made a way where there was no way for us to be delivered from our sin. Do you know who that way is? Jesus is the way. Jesus was made like us, the writer of Hebrews is, is reminding these believers. Jesus was made like us, taking on flesh and blood in his humanity, that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He himself has suffered being tempted, so he is able to aid all of us who are tempted, and we are all tempted. But unlike us, Jesus was made like us, but unlike us, Jesus did not surrender to temptation. He remained faithful. He was tempted, but without sin. Therefore, he is able to aid all of us who are tempted even though we are in our sin. Therefore, in all things, we are to consider Jesus Christ. This is the only place in the Scripture that Jesus is called the Apostle. It's the only place in the Scripture where that title is given to Jesus. And here it says, we are to consider 
Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest of our confession. For he has by grace through faith made us holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling. The word apostle means one who is sent, specifically one who is sent by God. Jesus was sent by God, his Father, to deliver us from our sin. And he did just that through his death on the cross, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his ascension. He was sent by the Father. He is the apostle, the great apostle. But he is also the high priest. In his ascension, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. And he sits at that right hand. And the Bible says Jesus ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. As we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews is using pictures of the Old Testament law. Why? Because the Old Testament law was the shadow And Jesus was the substance that cast that shadow. In other words, everything in the Old Testament law, from the animal sacrifice to the keeping of the feast and all the things that the high priest would do, those were all pointing us to Jesus. And when the high priest would go into the temple, and when he would go once a year on the Day of Atonement behind the veil to offer to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, he was interceding for the nation. And this is why Jesus is called the apostle and the high priest of our confession. What are we confessing? What is our confession? Well, our confession is Jesus is our salvation. Our confession is Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only sacrifice that can atone for our sin. What we're confessing is Jesus is better. In Christ, we are no longer defined by our sin. I want you to notice in the first verse, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. And you'll notice that the reason I started with the last two verses of chapter 2 is that the, the writer here reminds us that in all things, Jesus was made like us that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself, in that Jesus himself was tempted, he is able to aid us who are tempted. In other words, Jesus understands your temptation and my temptation. Even though Jesus never succumbed to temptation, even though there was no sin in Jesus, we're going to see when we get to Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted at all points, just like we are, but without sin. And so there's no, there's no, uh, there's no illusion here that men are not sinful, that men are not tempted to sin, and men fall into sin and commit sin. That's the whole point of this letter. That's the whole reason these Believers want to go back to Jerusalem. They want to go and offer animal sacrifice for their sins. Because that was the system that God gave to Moses. But that system was never meant to actually cleanse us from our sin. That system was actually only 
to point us to and to show us our need, our desperate need for the only one who could ever cleanse us from our sins, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. But notice here how these brothers and sisters are addressed. Therefore, holy brethren, they're called holy. Not because they're never tempted and not because they never sin. They're called holy because they are professing to trust in Jesus. And Jesus is the one that made them holy. It was not their sacrificing animals. It wasn't the blood of animals that made them holy. It was the blood of Jesus that made them holy. It is the blood of Jesus today that makes us holy. So he calls them holy brethren. He calls them partakers of the heavenly calling. That's not talking about a vocation or what job or what title they have. The heavenly calling was that they were called by God to salvation. They were the elect of God. They were the ones that God chose before the foundation of the world. They were the ones that God adopted as sons by Jesus Christ. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of. You are holy brethren. The blood of Jesus has made you holy, not the blood of bulls and goats. You are partakers of the heavenly calling. You've been called by God himself. And Jesus Christ came and died for you, was buried for you, was resurrected for you and ascended to you and intercedes for you right now. He has called you and you have professed to have responded to that calling. You have a holy and a heavenly calling if you are in Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling these believers. And guess what? That's what he's telling us, that we have a holy and a heavenly calling if we are in Jesus Christ. They were no longer defined by their temptation or by their sin, but they were holy. And they had a heavenly calling. And in Christ, they were given a new identity, a new life. They were no longer unholy, but holy. They were no longer excluded because of their sin, but they were now partakers in Christ who took away their sin. This letter was written to these Hebrew believers, but it was written for us today. Remember, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. This doesn't say the letter to the Believers in Taylor, Texas, it says the letter to the Hebrews. These people lived in Italy 2,000 years ago. You live in Taylor today. This letter was not written to you, but it was absolutely written for you. God's word is true. God preserved his word for us that we would take the same truths written to these believers and we would apply them to our life. They were called holy brethren because Jesus had made them holy. You are today holy brethren because Jesus has made you holy. If you by grace through faith are trusting in him. You have a heavenly calling because Jesus called you. Just as they were commanded to do, we are to consider Jesus Christ, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He who was faithful in all things, and he was counted worthy of more glory than angels, more glory than Moses, 
more glory than any name that we could name. Jesus is better. He is better. And you are no longer identified by your sin and your depravity. If you are in Christ, you are now identified in Him. And the Bible calls you holy and partakers of the heavenly calling. Jesus is better, so we are the house of God. And the writer goes on and he talks about how Moses was faithful in God's house. He was faithful as a servant in God's house. But remember, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus wasn't a servant in God's house. Jesus was a son and is the son in God's house. That means that the house Moses served in was not the house of Moses. It was the house of God. But the house Jesus is the son in is his own house. It's his house. And the writer of Hebrews says, whose house are we? In other words, we are the house of God. Peter says, you are lively stones being built up into a holy habitation of God in the Spirit. Paul writes the same thing in his letter to the Ephesians and says, we are the house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God lives in you. You are the house of God now. That's something that really should sink in to us. Whether you, whether you fully comprehend it, the Bible says if you are in Christ, you are the house of God. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house for a testimony for these things that would be spoken, the very things we're speaking of today. Moses, the servant of God in the house of God, gave testimony for the gospel of the coming Christ. Christ is better than Moses. Moses, the servant in God's house, pointed to Christ Jesus, the son, over his own house. And we are that house today. Jesus is better. So we will hold fast and we will hold firm to the end. Now look at this. Look at verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, Peter says we're lively stones, we're living stones being built up a house. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a stonemason, a bricklayer, and you're building God's house. You're building a house. Or let's just say God is the one building his house, because ultimately that's really what's happening. He's building his house. If a bricklayer is building a house with brick or with stones, when does he put the stone in the building so the house can be built? Does he do it? Let me give you a multiple choice test here. 
does he, does he do it while he's building the house, as he's building the house, A, or does he do it after the house is built, B, or C, I don't know. If a, if a builder is building the house, when does he put the stone in place to become part of the house? At the end of the building project or at the beginning and during the building project? You guys know? Yeah. I mean, how, how would you have a house if you're waiting to the end to see whether... Do you understand where I'm going with this? Because there's a way we can read the scripture and think that our salvation is conditional. In other words, that our salvation is not sure. We believe in eternal security. We, believed in, we believe in reformed theology. You know what reformed theology brought us? It brought us the security of the believer. Do you know before the Reformation, there was no such thing as security for the believer? You had to pray your way out, pay your way out, wait your way out of purgatory at best, or you won't even get to purgatory. Because you could fall from grace and go straight to hell and never make it to heaven. But do you know what the reformers did? The reformers went back to the scripture and they said, hey, all this stuff about you know, us working for our salvation, we can't find that in the Bible. It looks like that we are secure in Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did. And so when the writer of Hebrews is writing this, I want you to think about it this way. If you are the house of God, and that's what he says, and the apostle Peter says, you're living stones being built up. Well, when is God going to put that stone in the building? Is he going to wait until the end of everything to see whether you're still standing? Whether you're still in the rock pile? No. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a house. He's not going to wait to the very end and then build his house with, with what rocks remain. No, he's building his house right now. That's the language the Bible uses. You are being built up. You are living Stones. You're not dead stones waiting to find out whether you're alive or not. You're living. You're being built up. You're being conformed. God is actively doing a work in your life. So God knows everything about you. That might be scary, right? But we need to realize that God knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And in this verse, it says here, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This should be understood as a promise to those who are trusting in Jesus. This is to make you sure, not to make you question your salvation. This is to make you sure of your salvation. Because here's God's promise if you are mine, you will hold fast to the end. You will be standing in the end. This is understood as a promise to those who are trusting in Christ. Those who are 
holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling. This speaks to the security we have in Christ. Christ is not son over his house that is unsure or unsecured. Here is what John Gill, a a very well-known commentator, wrote about this verse. And instead of trying to paraphrase it, I thought I would just tell you because it's really good. Here's the, here's the section of the scripture. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, these words are not to be understood as a condition of the former assertion, nor is a final falling away from grace to be inferred from hence. For the supposition proves not such an inference. In other words, this is not speaking of believers falling from grace, falling away from their salvation, but the contrary namely that they have true faith, true hope, and true confidence. Those that have that shall keep them to the end and therefore are the house of Christ. Besides, the doctrine of apostasy is quite repugnant to the apostles' argument according to which Christ might have no house and can have none till men have persevered. But the apostles' design is to give a word of exhortation to himself and others, to hold fast the confidence, and so the words are rather descriptive of the persons who are the house of Christ, such who have a good hope through grace wrought in them and can rejoice in hope of the glory of God and can use freedom of speech and boldness at the throne of grace and have a holy confidence of interest in the love of God and salvation by Christ, and go on in the exercise of these graces to the end of their days. In other words, you go through life, you are tempted, you succumb to temptation and you fall, what do you do? You run to Jesus, you turn to Jesus, you cling to Jesus, because he is the one that will carry you through to the end. Carrying you through to the end doesn't mean you're never going to sin, you're never going to fall. Carrying you through to the end means that you're not going to get stuck and fall away somewhere along the way. Again, he gives a promise to those with new hearts and a warning to those with evil hearts. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Jesus is better because Jesus can carry us to the end. And no one can do that except Jesus. Not even you. You cannot carry yourself to the end. Only Jesus can carry you to the end. Jesus is better, so do not harden your heart, but hear his voice and obey. So if we hear his voice, we are to obey his voice. For he, for he who having heard, for who having heard rebelled? Well, he says it's all those who came out of Egypt. Those are the ones who rebelled. And who was he angry with for 40 years? Well, all of those who sinned in the wilderness, whose corpses fell in the wilderness 
And why did they die? Well, because of their disobedience. Who did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Well, all of those who disobeyed. And what was their disobedience a sign of? Their disobedience was a sign of their unbelief. This is the warning. Do not harden your heart, but hear his voice. Listen to Jesus. Hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus is better. Those who harden their hearts, those who will not hear, are those who do not obey. Those who do not obey are those who do not believe. They could not enter in because of unbelief. And if we persist in unbelief, we will not enter in. If you are in Christ, you are not in unbelief. You are in faith. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you're in Christ, you're not in unbelief. If you're trusting in Jesus today, you're not in unbelief. That doesn't mean you never doubt. That doesn't mean you never question. It means in spite of your doubts and in spite of your questions, Jesus is going to carry you through and he's going to help you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why with fear and trembling? What is fear? Why, should, why, why is fear part of our salvation? We, we, we learned this when we went through the Proverbs on Wednesday night. The Proverbs says, what is the beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot work out your salvation apart from the fear of the Lord. But if you're trusting in Jesus, why are you trusting in him? Because you realize you can't trust in yourself. You realize there is no answer for your sin except Jesus. Well, what about your sin is fear causes you to fear? Well, it should cause you to fear. If you're looking at the prospect of spending eternity separated from God, that, that should scare the hell out of you. I can use that word because it's in the Bible. And that's what people's problem is. They're full of hell. I mean, they're full of the devil. They're full of the things that are absolutely contrary to God. And you can't get those things out yourself. There is no way for you to deliver yourself from hell. But Jesus, Jesus, he is the one that delivers us. Jesus is better. So don't harden your heart. Hear his voice and obey. Don't be like those in the wilderness who refused to hear and refused to obey and they died in their rebellion. And because of their unbelief, they never entered into the land of promise and the rest that God had for them. If you're in Christ, you're not in unbelief, you're in faith. And the reality is this, if we are in Christ, we have been born again and we are new creations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. And who are we in our depravity? 
the old has passed. That means we were in our depravity before we became new creations. But now, as a new creation, we are no longer in sin. We are no longer tied to that nature of sin and death. The old has passed away. Who we were in our depravity and in our sin is dead and buried with Christ. Now, all things have become new and we are raised up in the newness of his resurrection. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means our life is different in Christ. You say, well, what if someone professes to be in Christ, but their life's not different? Pray for them. Encourage them. Walk with them. Give them the word of God. Disciple them. Grow together with them. What if their life never changes? Keep praying for them. Keep encouraging them. As long as they're willing to be prayed for, as long as they're willing to be encouraged, do it. If they count themselves a believer, you say, yeah, but I just don't see any change in their life. Well, if they're willing, keep praying for them. Keep working for them because you're not going to be the one that's going to change them. God God is the only one that can change them. But here's the reality. If they truly are in Christ, and this is the promise the Scripture gives us, if they truly have died and been buried with Christ and been raised in the newness of His life, there will be a change. If it doesn't come sooner, it must come later. You cannot be in Christ and there not be a change in your life. There has to be a change. It's not the change that saves you. It is the salvation that creates the change. You're changed because you have been saved. You're not changing so you can be saved. That's like the builder who's got all these rocks there, but he's not going to put any of them to build the building until he figures out whether it's a worthy rock or not. That doesn't make sense. If it's a living stone, if it's fit for the building, we're going to put it in there, and it's going to get put in its place, and it's going to begin to function in its place. Now, if you've ever watched a stonemason work, sometimes they have to chip on those rocks, and they have to shape those rocks, and they've got to do all kinds of things to them before they put it in its proper place. And that's what God does with us. But the point is, he'll get his work done and he'll get us put in our proper place and there will be a change. Jesus is better. Don't harden your heart. Jesus is better. He makes us new. And this is the point of the writer. If we profess our trust in Christ, we are professing that we are new creations. We still struggle with temptation. We still struggle with sinful behavior, but sin no longer defines us. Sin should no longer bind us. And sin no longer identifies us. If we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In fact, Paul writes, all things have become new. Jesus is better. Therefore, let us hold steadfast to the end. 
Now in Christ as new creations, I am no longer, you are no longer to be conformed to this world, but you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We do not, we do that as we walk by faith. How do you prove what is good and acceptable in the will of God? You do it as you walk out your life, as you walk by faith. Your life, your walk should prove those things that have been done in you. We do that as we walk by faith, as we resist temptation and sin, as we trust in Jesus. When we fall down, we look to Jesus and we get back up. And we continue in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And when we fall down, we look to Jesus and we get back up. And we continue in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Do I need to say that again? We do that again and again and again and again until our falling down becomes the exception instead of the rule. These little babies running around here, have you ever noticed that they fall down a lot more than you adults do? It doesn't mean that they're not human. It just means they haven't become proficient at walking yet. But you know what's going to happen? Same thing that happened to you. As they grow and mature, they're going to fall down less and less. And pretty soon, they'll reach a point in their life where falling down becomes the exception instead of the rule. Well, that's the way it is spiritually for us. We may fall down, and the point is, it's not that we're never going to fall. We're all going to fall. The question is, are you going to get back up? Are you going to walk again? And when you fall, are you going to get back up and are you going to walk again? And the whole time you're falling and getting back up and walking again... Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your ability to do that? Or are you trusting in Christ because you know that you have no power to carry yourself to the end? Only Christ can do that because Jesus is better. And as we continue to walk by faith, we have the promise from God that we have become partakers of Christ. Holy brethren, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In that day, when we all stand in the presence of God, we will all stand in His presence, having continued steadfast to the end because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus carried us. He persevered us. This is why Jesus is better. Jesus can do and has done what no man can do, what the angels couldn't do, what Moses couldn't do, what anyone else, no one else could do. Jesus is better. Let's get ready to come to the table and celebrate our brother, our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are holy, brethren, if you're trusting in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Stop looking at your sins. Stop looking at your past. Look to Jesus. You know why the sun comes up every day? It's to remind us that His mercies are new every morning. God gives us a new day every day. 
And that new day, that sunrise, should remind us that yesterday is gone and today is here. Live in today while it is today. Trust in Jesus because Jesus is better. So as you trust in him, I invite you to come to the table. Let's all stand. Jesus is better, a simple statement that is profoundly true and powerful. If we believe that simple statement, our life should reflect its truth and its power. So do not only say Jesus is better, live your life like you truly know it, and understand that truth, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all the sin that so easily distracts us. Jesus is better than any name that we can name. Jesus is better than anyone or anything else that we could possibly give our time and our attention and our life to. Jesus is better. Therefore, Jesus is to be first in all things. Let us consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And if you confess him, live like you believe, Jesus is better, for he truly is. Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. If you find yourself straying from the way, remember, remind yourself, Jesus is better than any way that you could possibly go. Turn to him, trust in him, and know that he is faithful to save. He is faithful to carry you to the end. May we be ever mindful to live out this truth that Jesus is better. In fact, He is the best. Amen.